I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. conversation with a fellow professional recently, the topic of teenagers and violence came up. There had been some representations in the media of a number of isolated public incidences of violence that are apparently perpetrated by teenagers. And while not talking about the specific cases, the topic itself raised the question as to whether the pandemic has caused a spike in teen violence or teen aggression and what would that look like and how could that be contextualized and explained. Now this conversation came up after a similar theme emerged during a public talk I was delivering where a number of the adults present cited examples of increased aggression in their own teenagers at home and so tying all that together I thought it would be worth talking about on here. Now, first of all, it's really important that we distinguish between aggression and violence because they are not the same thing. Violence, for example, is the result of a complex interaction of multiple variables in somebody's life. These variables could include things like having a history of violent or aggressive behaviour, perhaps even stemming from childhood maybe being the victim of physical or some other form of abuse. And even exposure to violence at home or within your community can be a contributor factor. These are factors that contribute but wouldn't in and of themselves cause and it's important to hold that in mind. Any level of violence or violent act perpetrated by someone against someone else is a very serious issue and of course should be taken very seriously as the harmful impact can be to oneself, um, maybe to one's family or indeed the broader community. So this is serious behaviour that requires serious action. As to whether the pandemic circumstances and, you know, prolonged isolation, loss of peer group and all of those things that we've spoken about on here before you know, have they caused a spike in violence? There are a number of ways of looking at this. For me, it comes down to causation versus correlation. If I was already predisposed towards violence, then the circumstances of the pandemic, you know, a loss of formal and informal supports that could be appointments that I was attending formally with somebody like a psychologist, a psychotherapist, maybe even informal supports, you know, my friends, my school, my activities, access to having my friends and sports activities in and of themselves, a loss of structure in general that would have been afforded to me in school or work, those kinds of restricted social outlets, they may well have amplified my violent tendencies and impulses in a kind of pressure cooker effect. Now, that's not the same as the pandemic causing me to be violent, as I should still be held accountable and take responsibility for my actions rather than, you know, deferring, oh, it's not my fault. It was the pandemic. Um, I shouldn't be held responsible. It's because of the pandemic. The whole point of accountability and responsibility is one I'm going to try to come back to later on on this topic, because I think it's something that we can and should begin with our children when they are much, much younger than adolescents, when we actually do expect them to take responsibility for their behavior and be held accountable 
not in any huge way, you know, minor transgressions, minor accountability, but that we stop as parents explaining away their behavior for them and instead say, well, let's own that. Let's say you are sorry. Let's see what we can do to make repair, but ultimately take accountability. I think that's really, really important. And also just to emphasize at this point that in speaking about violence and aggression, this is by no means an issue with teenagers only. During the pandemic period, we have seen clear spikes in incidences of domestic violence, child to parent violence and parent to child violence. You know, people who were predisposed to violent behavior have been more likely to act out violently during this time. And that is not exclusive to teenagers, just to emphasize that point. Um, Violence and aggression are two terms in general, I find, that tend to be used interchangeably as though they were the same thing. However, that's not the case. Violence is the use of physical force with the intent of hurting another person or perhaps, you know, destruction of property, whereas aggression is more linked to angry or even violent feelings or behavior. Even seeking to define them can be tricky as the difference can appear really fine between the two. So perhaps it's more helpful to consider that violence is an extreme manifestation of aggression and that is what separates the two states. We could place anger, conflict, aggression, violence on a spectrum and see whereabouts are we talking about with this and really be clear about the language we're using. Because both anger and conflict can be considered normal, healthy, though perhaps more challenging aspects of human behavior. Pent up anger and unresolved conflict can evolve into aggression and then in that extreme manifestation become violence. But violence is not conflict and cannot be normalized. Seeking to explain such acts or behaviors should never be confused with excusing them. Violence is inexcusable. I mentioned at the start of this that, you know, these themes of aggression and violence during a pandemic arose with both professionals and parents I was speaking with recently. One parent specifically reached out to me regarding their teenager, whom they described as having become increasingly difficult to live with as they felt they were walking on eggshells as the slightest wrong step could provoke heightened aggression from their teenager. When I asked what they would do in response to such aggression, they said they would do nothing, walk away and wait until their teenager had calmed down. This is a bit like expecting the boiling pot to get itself to a simmer without anyone turning down the heat source. So naturally, what looked like a calming down was nothing like a return to so-called calm, and the aggression simmered constantly, waiting for a spark to bubble over. And sparks in the parent-teenager relationship are inevitable, so such flashpoints were becoming increasingly frequent in this family's home. Now, I really again want to emphasize that no parent should ever accept or tolerate any abusive behavior from their teenager or their child or anybody really in general, but in this case specifically their teenager because that's what the case that was being brought to me. This parent was not describing abusive behavior but was describing aggression in the form of very heated arguments when they criticize their teen's behavior or ask them to change behavior. 
For example, asking their teenager to spend mealtimes with the rest of the family, to turn down loud music, or to complete homework in a timely fashion, or even to do household chores or to come off their phones, things like that, elicited behaviours such as door slamming, swearing, yelling, blaring loud music even louder that disrupted the household, but also the neighbours. So even without physical violence, though any aggression can be stressful, you know, any aggression, even if there isn't hitting, any aggression at all can be a stress factor in a home and tension filled environments can follow for the whole family. And that was the case at hand here and what was going on. So when responding to and engaging with this kind of aggressive behavior, it's really, really important to remember and be mindful of your own behavior, especially if you have a tendency to become aggressive in response to aggression. Or perhaps if you are so conflict averse yourself that you would rather walk away and retreat from this behavior than engage with it at all. Hold in mind that your own behavior can either serve to improve or amplify an aggressive situation. So as best you can, seek to hold a calm and peaceful demeanor that enables you to remain strong without becoming threatening. And that can feel like a fine line sometimes. So really reflect on that yourself and how that plays out in your relationships. Be aware of both your verbal language as well as your nonverbal body language here. For example, don't stare at your teenager in the eye directly in these moments. Consider giving increased physical space between you and them so that you seem and feel less threatening. Allow them to express their point of view and reflect back calmly what you've heard them say without judgment, without correcting, without clarifying. Just reflect back what you've heard them say. That gives them a chance to let you know if you're right or if you've misinterpreted them and also gives you a moment to gather your own thoughts. Then tell them your point of view without expectation that they agree with you or change their own mind. That may not follow. What you want them to do is hear your alternative viewpoint on whatever is going on. If the argument or aggressive behavior escalates beyond that point, pause, take a deep breath and slowly exhale. Repeat this three times and do it in front of your teenager so that they see how you seek to control your anger and aggressive impulses. If the argument or aggression further escalates, walk away, but state that you are walking away because the feelings involved are feeling out of control and you don't want either of you to do or say something you don't mean. Say that you'll be taking time to think and suggest that they do the same and you'll pick it up in half an hour or some specified time, maybe 20 minutes, but ballpark half an hour. Maybe add what you're going to specifically do to calm down. You might say, I'm going to go outside or I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm going to take some time to breathe. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to listen to some music with my headphones or I'm going to call and talk to a friend. So you're giving them some options of things they could also do to help self-regulate while you walk away. If such arguments are so frequent that this is a multiple times a week experience at this heightened level, Seriously consider reaching out for professional support for you and your teenager because maybe you need somebody else who can help regulate you both through this or address what else might be going on or underpinning this overt aggression. 
you know, just as you did with toddlers, you you don't want to model responses that show that yelling or aggression is an effective form of communication. In other words, be really mindful that you don't always back down or give in to whatever demand is at play just to stop the behavior in question, because that would teach me that screaming, roaring, shouting, whatever it is, is effective at getting what I want. If aggression does become violence, tell your teenager or your child or whoever it is clearly that this is unacceptable. If you need to call the police or the guards to ensure safety of everyone involved, do so because always hold in mind safety first. In the meantime, give them space and reconnect when they've calmed down enough to do so and be clear that the behaviour is unacceptable and that you will not tolerate it. You could, if this is a pattern, you could consider talking to their school to see if they have observed any violent behaviour or any sudden changes and seek referral to mental health services in the first instance, especially if you think that's going to be helpful in helping you to understand what's going on so that you can support your teenager further. I know that it can be really difficult to consequence your child in a way that involves the law or school or mental health services, but remember that everyone has a right to feel safe and loving your teenager does not mean putting up with unacceptable behaviour. Deal with the problem directly. It will not go away on its own. And it's also going to be reassuring for your child, maybe not in the moment, they're not going to thank you for, for this intervention, but that they see that you care enough to take action and that you really are concerned about them and want to help the relationship to recover and strengthen so that this aggression doesn't need to be a part of your connection. For anyone listening at this point who feels that they or and or, you know, their child would benefit with more playful ways to address anger or conflict, that is, you know, at a more mild to moderate level, I do have a few suggestions because learning how to cope with and express anger and conflict in a positive way is an essential part of growing up. It starts in childhood, you know, ideally, uh, but that said, it's never too late to open up a dialogue about this with your teenager either. Um, and, you know, even to reflect upon these behavioral traits in yourself, if you feel that this is something that you struggle with in your parenting or in life in general, because we do have to reflect inwards and see what is our relationship to aggression and even take it to that mild and moderate level. What is my relationship to anger? How do I negotiate conflict in my relationships? Playful ways that I like to do this is to have some frustration play options available. That could be, I know myself, I have a frustration brick. It's this foam brick. It looks like the brick you'd build a house with or a wall with, but it's a foam thing. So you can throw it. You can feel like you're throwing a brick at something, but of course it's not going to cause any damage. But I get that release of throwing um, That I, if you have that urge. I also have a thing called a dammit doll. You've probably seen them online. You can easily make one yourself at home. It's just a kind of a doll or blobby shape and you can stuff it with tights or cotton wool. And there's usually a little rhyme that goes with it that says, if you feel really mad and want to stand up, stand up straight and shout, here's a little damn it doll you cannot do without. Just grasp it firmly by the legs and find a place to slam it. And while you whack it stuffing out, yell, damn it, damn it, damn it. So it's literally this um, doll looking thing that you hold by the legs and you can whack and whack. So it again is that frustration release. Uh, as another way, more straightforward, if you don't have things like props available, is to take a, a bag of cotton balls and to have a cotton ball snowball fight with whoever's at home, you, your team 
teenager, your child, whoever else is there, everybody gets a bundle of cotton balls. And when you say go, throw them at each other like a big snowball fight. And you can structure this by saying you can throw when I say green light, everybody freezes when I say red light. And that stops it getting completely hyper regulated and keeps it at that more mild to moderate level. But there's great fun in throwing things at, at each other in a very playful way that isn't going to cause any harm. I also think it's a great idea to make an anger playlist on your, you know, wherever you get your music, your Spotify list or whatever, just make an anger playlist full of songs that really help you to get those feelings out. You can equally, by the way, have any emotion playlist, a happy one, a sad one, things that help you release emotion through music. Um, you could also model and then teach your young person about an imaginary conversation where you'd place a chair opposite you and then you would have the conversation you wish you could have with the other person or maybe the conversation you're desperate trying not to have with the other person, but you need to get it out of you by imagining them sitting in the chair and hearing all of those things you want to say. And it's about taking the edge off. So when you go to have a real conversation, it's not so heightened and emotive. So I'm a big fan of the imaginary conversation with the invisible chair thing. I also think movement, simply doing physical activity to move and free up pent up physical feelings is great. Like taking your young person or child outside and doing, you know, 20 jumping jacks or getting skipping ropes and skipping and skipping and actually setting it up like a challenge activity that you can do. How many skips can we do before the rope tangles up or something like that? And also give do overs. You know, go in and say, look, that got really out of control. And here's what I wish I had done and said instead. And you do or say that thing and then offer it over and go, what about you? How do you wish that had gone? What do you wish you'd done or said? Because I'm going to give you a do over to do it that way now. And then you reconnect in the do over. And ensure no matter what else that you positively do reconnect and reconnect in that positive, engaging way, because that's about relational repair. And you've heard me say that on here before, that relational repair is always the responsibility of the adult, of the parent in question, because it shows our teenagers that we value our connection with them and relationship with them above the conflict at hand. But again, just to remind you, if it's teetering into aggression at a level that you know is not manageable and containable at home, Home, please do reach out for referral to maybe child and adolescent mental health services, which your GP can refer you to, or seeking a suitable referral to a psychotherapist in your area. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15 minute parenting.